Welcome along to the Candy Pants Lifestyle Podcast. I'm Nick, and this week we spoil you rotten. Tony Truman is the man behind some of Ibiza's best-known bars, beach clubs, and hotels. And you're about to discover his story so far is even wilder than his venues. It's the journey of a man who spent a lifetime as a professional in partying. He's been at the centre of police sting operations, thrown parties inside a volcano, narrowly avoided prison, and almost died. And that's all before going on to found O Beach alongside friend of the podcast, Wayne Lineker, and founding what's been named the most Instagrammable hotel in the world, WikiWoo. Every so often you hear the kind of story you think, someone needs to make a film out of this. Well... This is one of those stories. We don't quite have the budget for a feature-length film, and I'm certainly no Steven Spielberg, meaning a chat on our little podcast will have to do. So strap yourselves in, hold on to your hats, and honestly, just try to keep up as we dive headfirst into the roller coaster journey of Mr. Tony Truman. Tony, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. So for people who don't know you, if, for example, you were speed dating and you could just briefly tell someone what it is you do now, what would it be? Have a good time. (laughs) (laughs) My mate calls me a GCI and it means good time instigator. (laughs) And that's what he says. He said, I know you're a businessman and you do lots of work and you actually work very hard. He said, but more than anything, he said, you're more well known for having a good time and having fun. And uh, so I suppose, you know, that's, not a, bad, that's not, not a bad analogy of it. So if we go right back to the start, you've got a pretty brilliant story about how you got into parties, haven't you? Yeah, uh, and it's probably quite well documented, that story. Yeah, it, it's, mad, it's madness, really, because it, it is actually everything is, is true what happened, you know, when you sort of think about it. Even though at the time of being a 15-year-old boy starting parties, it was just like, you know, a bit of fun. I never actually thought, right, I'm going to have this vision at 15 and one day I'm going to own a massive big beach club. I always sort of, you know, when I sort of got kicked out of school, when I got kicked out of school when I was 15, and uh, they said I couldn't go to the end of school party, which I was absolutely devastated about because all the kids were going. And um, and I went back up the school, even my parents, and they said, no, you're not going, it's your punishment, you can't go, blah, blah, blah. So my mum was like, you know, you've got to do your own party. She said, you, you know, you're the, you're the ringleader, you're the instigator of it all. Why don't you sort of do your own sort of party? So we went down and we hired a... We hired a boat. We hired a boat on the Thames, like to do a, a, a school disco, basically. And the only day they could actually hire, we could actually get the boat for. It fell on the same night as the school party. So my mum said, my mum was like, you know, she was pushing. She said, go for it, do it, do it. She said, all the kids will come to your party. So I took a bit of a gamble. I took a bit of a gamble, and um, I hired the boat. And literally, I think two hundred and eighty kids came onto this boat. And apparently 20, 20 odd people turned up to the school party. And yeah, and we'd done a party and it was absolutely amazing. And everyone everyone loved it. Even one of the teachers who I was pretty close to at the school came to it. Right? <laughs> and uh, which was which really made me feel proud that I had one of the teachers sort of on my side. And uh, I think he saw the goodness in me, even though I was a bit of a bad boy. And so that was so that was my first ever party. I didn't actually bill it as trues do's. 
The name actually True's Do's came a couple of years later, but everyone just called it the Truman Party. I get the Truman Party. And then I done another one. Um, I think a year later, I hired, um, I hired, a, I hired a, a local rugby club. And that was brilliant, that was, because I went to the guy. And looking back on how, how you hire venues now and you have to have deposits, you have to have references and things like that, I went to the guy and I said, can I hire the village hall? And uh, he said, yeah. I said, how much is it? And he said, oh, I was 20 quid and you got it for 24 hours. Here's the, key, here's the keys. <laughs> it was like, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? Really? He didn't put any number restrictions on it. No, nothing. He said, I just want it back in the same state you give it to me. And so, of course, I had this massive party in there and literally like hundreds of kids come that turned up, all the older kids turned up and everything. And literally, after the first half an hour, we had to shut the door. It was just rammed, rammed out. Everyone was, you know, underage drinking and partying and like then next day I've got all the mums and that ringing up my mum saying you know your son's putting on these parties and like that and she my mum's always been really cool she said well you know at least he's showing some initiative <laughs> and stuff like that and then what happened that summer literally when I was 15 we went out me my mum and uh, my stepdad and one of my best mates and we went out to Ibiza and we met these three boys from Essex in the hotel who are like three years older than us. And when you're 15, that's a quite a big age difference, yeah. isn't it? They seem like sort of grown men. And they was like, oh, come to this bar, come to that bar. And they was taking us to like the Star Bar and S Paradise. And then they said, right, we've got to go to this club. You know, it's, it's supposed to be absolutely out of this world. It's called the Coo Club. And I'd never even heard, I'd never even heard of it. And uh, we've been just going around the West End sort of, you know, the two weeks that we was in Ibiza and uh, stayed around there. Then they took us to the Coup Club that night and it was just, I can honestly say that did transform actually how I thought. I didn't think I'd ever own a club like that myself at the time, but I was just so, wow, wow, blown away, speechless, mind-blowing, swimming pools, exotic dancers, music, people just in the, oh, just incredible, the dragon entrance and everything like that. It was unbelievable. So when I come back, you know, uh, when I came back, I was like, Mum, this is what I want to do. I want to organise parties. So that was it, really. So we started So we started on that road, you know. So that's what I just kept on doing. And they just sort of grew in sort of stature and the venues got better and better as we went along. So at what point did it become more of a career where you had a first bar or a first party or you were just doing that and that was paying the bills, essentially? Well, I think when I went, to, I went to Gran Canaria when I worked. I went on holiday with all my mates. We went to uh, we went to a few different holiday resorts around Europe. And when I went to Gran Canaria, and we got in a big punch up, and uh, got in a big punch up like you do, silly idiots on holiday when you're young like that. And uh, I got arrested, and basically they wanted to actually give us three months in Spanish prison. So I was like 18 at the time, 19. I was like, oh my god, I was so scared. And uh, this bar where we'd been drinking in, the guy turned around and said, listen, I'll, be- I'll bail you you and my mates out. He said, if you come and work for me. So, right. so we was like, well, okay. So that's what I did. I, I went and worked for him. I ended up working for him a few years on and off, a few summers, you know, and um, he never actually asked for the repayment of the money. He was just happy that we, me and my pals were all working at his bar and building it up. So then I actually thought, you know what, I definitely want to sort of one day get a bar. So that was my first goal. So, and I was, you know, about 20 then. So then I came back to England and I was done another couple of big parties and everything. But the parties, what had happened then by working abroad for that first time, that instead of just sort of pulling in my local friends from Surrey and Kingston and where I lived, 
that the experience of working abroad, and I always say this to people, the my staff members now, I said the amazing thing about working abroad for the first time, not only do you grow up as a person and you learn to do all the things that you never do at home, which your mum always does for you, yeah. right? Just from sim- simple things like ironing and cleaning and stuff like that. When you're on your own and you are working abroad with like the same type of people in the same boat, it does make you grow up very fast. It does make you grow up very, very fast. But also it broadens your horizon to people from up north, from Ireland, from Scotland, from Wales, from Spain, from France, from Holland, from Germany, from from everywhere. Because yeah. you're suddenly you're coming more international in in just how you, how you are as a person and other people's cultures and things like that. So what it that done for me was when I came back and I done my uh, next party in England. I had like all the girls come from Manchester, all the girls come from Newcastle, all the people come from the South Coast, and suddenly they weren't just. Tony Truman's Trues Do's parties of everyone I've gone to school with and grown up with. I was bringing in loads of other people. And at the same time, like the obviously the dance scene had sort of started to explode in the in the, all the raves and things like that. And we was going to the raves and meeting people from again from all over. So then when I'd done a party, these other people would come to it. And that's how my sort of network grew. Right. And I was always really good at, you know, obviously then there wasn't mobile phones or computers to have in, or social media accounts and databases. I used to collect everyone's name and address. I don't know how I'd done it and why I'd done it, but I used to have the biggest black book you've ever seen. It used to be like the yellow pages <laughs> and literally stacked hundreds and hundreds of numbers of addresses, but all home phone numbers, of course. So then when I used to do a party, I used to just uh, sit there and do mail out lists and things like that. And because it became sort of so uh, so well known, the parties, everyone just wanted to come. So tell me about this first bar or the first kind of thing you ended up having. Oh yes, sorry, party. sorry, I'll touch the little bit there tonight. <laughs> right, yeah. So I've done this I've done this big party and uh, this woman in uh, this woman and her brother had this bar where I live in Kingston. It was like a small wine bar and uh, she'd sort of lost interest. It was more of a bit of a hobby for her and everything like that. And she said to me, Tony, she said, Would you like to come and run my bar for me? So I said, well, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to, you know. Not I'd actually actually run one myself before. I've worked in many, and it's, you know, from waiters, from PR into, you know, behind the bar, whatever. So I'd done that, and for six months I built it up, and we absolutely packed it out. It was solid. And we'd done such a good job. She turned around and she said, you know what? She said, you deserve to have this bar. She's 24 years of age. She charged me 25 grand for it. So one of my best friends at the time, who was always a very cool London promoter, I said to him, his name's Tony Levan, I said, do you want to come in with me on this bar? So me and him went in, uh, put the money in, and we opened, uh, we relaunched it. And, oh, my God, we had just two years of complete carnage and mayhem. <coughs> we were open. We were Our hours of opening were, it, the bar was open more, uh, more hours than when it was actually closed. <laughs> if you get what I mean our, our hours our licensing hours were like something like 6pm to 11pm at night we never used to close that till probably 9, 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> we, we, we just had lock-ins every single night doing parties it was a mental mental period and then uh, we got raided and the old bill took it off us <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do then? Basically, you know, it come a bar of debauchery, really. We just didn't care. We were young. We were naive. Everyone was selling drugs, taking drugs, late night drinking. Everything, everything was going on. It was a proper full sex, drugs and rock and roll. 
uh, bar at the time, and we would ju- we just went along for the ride. We just didn't think of the business stuff. And of course, when we got raided, they done an operation on us. They put hidden cameras in the ceilings. They befriended us, undercover police women. They were coming back to. Oh, I had this house with a swimming pool at the time where we were really are having loads of parties, in, and they just like done this oper- operation on us for three months, and. Uh, nicked us all basically and so so the, the police went to the landlord to the bar and uh, the landlord said we was in breach of our contract and foreclosed on our lease so our world literally came crumbling down uh, overnight my only sparing grace was where the, one of the undercover police women she turned around and she said well you know i've got to know tony really well over the last three months i know he's not a drug dealer i know he doesn't even take drugs you know i smoked a few joints not gonna lie right but he's not into into what everybody else was doing you know in in a big way so lucky enough uh, i was okay but what a learning curve what a learning <laughs> what a learning curve right well you don't want to learn i still would have made this same mistake years later um what i do then after that um I think we went out a few boys' holidays. We went back to Ibiza and a few holidays. And then I went back out the Grand Canaria again and I ended up working there for another couple of years, met a whole different set of friends again. And, and that's right. And when I was in Grand Canaria, um, because obviously I got to know from some of the parties, I got to know a few of the big DJs at the time, like Brandon Block, Alex P and everyone, I started doing a parties. There was, um, there was this Spanish promoter called Tito and DJ he was. And he was doing some parties right out of town and... Uh, he said to me, Tony, you've got the biggest pool of all the English people, all the, all the British people. He said, why don't you come in with me on these parties? They're called Paradise, ironically enough, what Jamie yeah. Jones has got now. But this was way before that. And uh, it was like, they called it a volcano in Grand Canaria because the Canary Islands are very volcanic. But it, it wasn't actually a volcano, but it was like a crater of one. And these Spanish guys had created this amazing open air secret club without a license right. so then what so then what i started doing i organized with all like big djs to come over from the uk and then i just used my massive network in playa de ingles the resort where we was living and on saturday nights we was taking like a thousand people out of the resort i had coaches coaches and coaches of all these people going up to this mountain to this open air rave and they just loved it it was the best thing to happen to grand canaria for a couple of years for the tourism but then what happened? Um, all the nightclubs in Playa Inglis, this particular holiday resort, are owned by a very powerful, powerful yeah. sort of mafioso-style guy. Anyway, next minute, I'm standing on the street, and uh, I get lifted off the street by these guys, like something you see out of a movie. And uh, they put me in the back of this wagon, and I thought, oh, God, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's very sort of gangster movie-ish. And they literally drove me to these very plush plush offices in um, in uh, Las Palmas where I met this guy in question and he was there and he said listen we know what you're doing he said uh, he said we know what you're doing he said you've got two things you either stop the parties now or you or you leave Gran Canaria so uh, it was it was a simple question I think I left two days later <laughs> <laughs> I thought no but I but it, but that really gave me really gave me like, wow, we, we were pulling such sort of big numbers out that, you know, the selling on the streets and things like that was, could, could be done. So that was a, that was a, real, a real experience in itself. Tony, this story is so much better than I ever imagined. And I'm only up the way he's 28. <laughs> and honestly, I, was, I, was tw- I was 28 then, and I come. Do you want me to carry on a bit? Yes, it's it is amazing. Funny, actually, because I don't actually get the time to sort of sit down and reflect too much about it all. 
And then I came back, and I came back to England, and uh, I just, I think I just got a job painting and decorating, doing a bit of building with my mate. And uh, then I said, right, it's time. I've done another party. But I remember being really sort of skint at the time and everything. So, um, and uh, yeah, we sort of done, we done, we done that. We've done a few parties, built them up again, and sort of got everyone interested. And so I was doing doing the parties, and then uh, it got to Millennium Eve. And I oh, basically that's what had happened. Sorry, what had happened? A mate of mine who was a property developer. He, he built these multi-million pound houses for footballers and stuff. He right. came to me. He said, "Tone, I've bought these two great big mansions in Isha where we live." He said, "I've just given like a million and a half quid each for them." You know, which in 1998 this was, which a lot a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, he said, basically, he said, "I've been trying to get planning permission on there to build twelve houses on the two plots." He said. They won't give it to me. He said, I'm going to give you these two houses. Go and move in there for 18 months. Within 18 months, they'll be begging me to build the houses. Said, <laughs> that is, honestly, he said, that is, he said, that is exactly what's going to happen. And he said, it's going to, you're going to piss off all the neighbours. So I was like, <laughs> wicked. I remember loving it. I remember going around. I actually never even had a key to my front door of these houses. I lived there for two years, right? I went around there. There was two great big, like, Playboy Mansion style houses. I said, listen, I only need one of them, right, for the time being. I'll start off with the one at the back, right? So me and my pal moved in. It had like eight bedrooms, no furniture. I remember taking my mum there. My my mum, I said, come mum, have a look at this, what I've just been given. My mate's just given it to me. So we walked in there and we're walking around. My mum's head's dropped. She's like, oh my God, this is just going to be a proper den of iniquity. It's going to be like a party brothel, isn't it? And that's that's actually what we named the house. We named it the brothel. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, so, of course, we went to all my mates who've done a bit of building. We got all these old sofas beds and everything and me and my pals just moved in and we had two years of non-stop partying but then on millennium eve i was planning this party this is how big the house was on new year's eve i was going to have a party i planned it it was called back to the future it was called back to the future and uh it was a millennium eve i was having two thousand people in the house and i was doing a two thousand minute party for 2,000 people celebrating the year 2000. I'd had marquees put up in the garden. My mate had come in. It was a tree fella, Barry, cut all the trees down <laughs> to, to make room. I'd sold, I'd sold over 1,000. I'd literally, so it was a week before the party, I'd sold over 1,000 tickets. I think I sold about 13, 1,400 tickets at £100 each, and we'd spent all the money on the production and everything, having this wild, crazy. And next minute, the environmental health, the police, the council, they all raided my house. And, and my and my and my shop at the time I had a, a beauty shop. They all come. You can't do this party, or you know you're breaking the law. I was like, you're joking. Everybody's having a millennium party. Everybody's having a, weren't they? Everyone yeah. was having a million. If you were alive at that time, a millennium eve party. It was just a done thing to do. And me being a party promoter, that's what I was doing. And uh, then the old bill came in. That literally arrested me. Closed it down. And this was a week before the party. It was the worst week of my life. Uh, really, it really was one of the worst weeks for sure and um they took me down the police station they said listen you cannot be doing this we have we haven't got the police manpower you've got two thousand people coming to your house how do you think you can get away with this without a public entertainment license which is a pel at the time i said well everybody's doing it it's millennium eve they said not everybody's having two thousand people in their house (laughs) they're having small gatherings they said you've got they said you've got to cancel it and i said i cannot cancel it my reputation and what I do will be finished forever. 
plus all the money people have paid in advance for the tickets. I'd spent it on the marquees, on the sound systems, on the deposits, on the artists, you know, on the printing, you name it. I'd blown the lot on all of that and lived off part of it as well. And uh, I said, the police said, no, you've got to do it. I said, I'm not cancelling it. I refused to cancel it. They said, well, well, we'll arrest you. And I said, well, you can't. You can't arrest me because the party hasn't happened yet. I said, you could maybe come and arrest me on the night. I sort of knew my rights and everything. And uh, they said, well, what, what, are the op- they said, what are the options? I said, I'll tell you what. We had a local club, a nightclub where we lived. And uh, I was actually banned from there. The guy didn't, <laughs> like didn't like me anyway. This guy really didn't like me. And uh, I said, I'll tell you what. The only thing I'll do. If you go and see the guy, Danny, who owns this club, I said, if you go and see him and tell him that I'll move my party to his club, yeah. right? If, I'll, I'll do that. And uh, so they said, all right, come with us then. So I literally got in the back of the police car. We drove down to his club and I pulled up with like these three coppers and this Danny guy who doesn't like me standing there anyway. <laughs> and the coppers have said, right, this is Tony True. And he's like, yeah, I know who he is. He said, well, we're having a big millennium party. He said, yeah, I know. That's why I've had to close my club New Year's Eve because he's having a party. Everybody's going to it. <laughs> right? He said, everyone's going. the police said, right, well, now the party's going to be at your club. And he said, no, nope, I'm not doing business. I'm not having his party there. The police turned around and said, if you don't have his party, we're going to take your licence away. All right? So they, they, you know, they sort of really called his bluff. So he said, all right, I'll do it, but I want 30 grand. So, lucky enough, we had the money and uh, we paid him and we had the party. But that week of me telling literally 1,500 or 2,000 people that they're not going to a party in a big mansion, they're going to a party in a big nightclub. Obviously, everyone was gutted. Everyone was gutted, but, you know, I managed to survive it. I managed to pull the party off, but it was a very, very, very stressful week of my life, that. What a way to kick off the millennium, eh? Tony, this story has blown my mind. (laughs) <laughs> so, right. so, so, so where, where did it go next? So that was obviously I was, I was that was I had a minute in me. I was thirty two. I was thirty two then, and uh, that's right. So then I, after that, anyway, my mate got the planning permission on the house, which was amazing. So he, was, <laughs> he, was, he was absolutely over the moon. So he said, "Look, Tony, you have to move out of the house." So I went and rented this other house. He actually got the house for me, and uh, it's a lovely house, but a lot smaller, and. Um, basically was having a party one night and the house burnt burnt down but it tragically burnt down because a girlfriend of mine actually died in the fire at the house so and I nearly lost my life as well in this fire at my house and I was in hospital on a life support machine it was the anniversary not long ago 20 years since she died and uh, so that was a real brought me back down to earth and reality that having all these fun and these wild times come at like you know the it, you know, it makes me really sad, you know, thinking about it all. It's just terrible and just sort of, you know, just sort of killed everything that I was doing, the fun-wise and everything. And the reality check that someone from you know, us all having fun has died was just really, really... Not something I would probably never ever forget and never get over, for sure. So we stopped the parties for a while, for a little while, and I thought, right, you know, I'm going to... I was 32, I thought, I just cannot go on like this. I've just nearly died from partying and whatever... I need to sort of get serious and everything. So my mum said, well, why don't you go and do a computer course? <laughs> so, so I said, it's totally random, I know. So I went and done a, uh, uh, a computer course, and all my mates said, come on, let's go to Ibiza on holiday. So we all went on Ibiza on holiday. We had an amazing, amazing time, stayed in this lovely villa, and uh, then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to spend more time in Ibiza again. 
you know, I wanted to sort of, so I spent a more, bit more time in Ibiza. Um, a mate of mine at the time had a villa company and it called it called Exclusive World, a guy called Aaron. And um, me and Aaron just were chatting and uh, Aaron said he wanted to get do some, get into more of the party side of things. I said, well, why don't we team up then? Why don't we team up? I said, I've got all my mates come to Ibiza all the time booking villas. I said, I've got like, you know, thousands of people behind me as followers from parties and stuff. So that's what we've done. We started doing a few villa parties in Ibiza and, um, you know, we've done sort of really well. That was brilliant. Then came back to England and we decided to do a massive party together. So we've done um, a huge, great big party called the Pink Party hired at Paints Hill Park in Cobham which was unbelievable with this massive, great big marquee and this beautiful National Trust grounds. And that was the start of something really good, actually. I think that was a sort of a very big turning point for me, business-wise. I suddenly saw the potential business-wise of, instead of it just being a, just being a hobby, just earning enough money to sort of keep my cock, basically, now I could actually see something in front of me. And I was 32 years of age, so literally, what's that, 20 years ago? 20 yeah. years ago, my sort of fortunes, I suddenly thought, right, I'm going to come uh, a full-time party promoter as well as doing these villas and stuff. Right. And we've done, we done that for a couple of years. Then um, Aaron wanted, Aaron's got his own ideas in business and I've got my own ideas in business and they didn't quite mix. So we sort of parted company and uh, then I sort of had a rebirth of True's Do's. I started carrying on doing some villa parties in Ibiza. Uh, for a few years and then um, Tony Wheelchair Tony Wheelchair who's my partner now in Ocean me and him have been mates from the party scene Tony had been out the previous summer when I was in Ibiza he'd been out to Marbella working out there with with another mate of ours George doing a club and Tony said Tony why don't you come come to uh, Marbella next summer and do a party there's loads of great venues so I flew out there I went out there and we did. We found some amazing places. So I said, right, next year, Tony, let's do a party. So we advertised a, uh, a five-day trip to Marbella. And uh, a friend of ours had just actually bought the land, which is now the Ocean Club in Marbella. And it just, okay. sort of o- just sort of opened it, but nothing had sort of really happened with it or anything. So we went to him and said, listen, can we, can we bring in, they start doing these parties here and we'll bring in the promoters and everything. And then we hired this great big, another great big mansion out in Marbella. And I think about on that first trip, about 700 people flew out. And it was amazing. It was really, really great crowd of people. The parties were going off. And then all the people who lived in Marbella and all down that south coast of Spain, they all turned up. They all wanted to come. They said, oh, you've got to do another one next year. You've got to do another one next year. Yeah. So the following year, we'd done one. And we brought literally 1,500 people. The numbers had doubled. <laughs> and the parties, so we then, we'd done, instead of five days, we'd done a week. We'd done 14 parties in a week. We'd done every day and every night. We'd done a party. And then, so let's give it another year. So we've done the third year and we took literally two and a half thousand people. We were hiring planes, we were hiring hotels and it was just absolute. In the bigger you get, the more carnage it gets. But in the back of my mind, I thought, I'm done with my bayer. I am done with it. I loved it down there for a period of time. I set the Tony on going back. I said, and I've met Wayne. That actually lasts that third year. I've met Wayne, even though me and Wayne didn't know each other. Right. Our part, we didn't actually know each other, but you know, we both, I'd heard his name for many years from having Linekers in uh, Tenerife and uh, Tenerife and Port of Banus. And then uh, we was at the Ocean Club, we was doing the party, and uh, me and Wayne met. And I said to him, I said, Listen, I'm going back to Ibiza, why don't we do a Linekers in Ibiza? And Wayne just went, I would love to. So I flew over to Ibiza, found the bar, I rung Wayne up, I said, Wayne, come on, have a look at this. He went, Wow, love it, let's do it. 
So the following year, the following year, Lineker's opened. That absolutely got off to the most flying start. I think it was just because, you know, I've been in Ibiza a long time. I knew a lot of people. Obviously, Lineker's brand's very famous uh, in its own right and everything. So, and uh, just the, the mix. We got a load of our mates all come out from the UK to come and work. And we just had the most, the most amazing summer. But then we went from that natural high to the following year to a complete and utter disaster. So wow. we got we, we we got a bit carried away, I think, on the back of that sort of first year. Not like you. Not like not like not like <laughs> us at all. Not There's like a pattern us. emerging here. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the trouble. When things are too good, we take it too far, and suddenly we, <laughs> we get a kick in the balls, and we're brought back down to earth again. But uh, I bet Wayne didn't remember as much as this as what I remember, did he? Wayne had a very very polished version of this story, <laughs> did he? Yeah. So, uh, well, these, this is these are the true facts. What happened? So then. Basically, a friend of mine, he said to me, look, Tony, there's a nightclub that's come up in San Antonio. It's a very old, famous nightclub. I used to know it well, the Ecstasis Club. So we went and uh, we met the woman who owned it, and they said, yeah, she's interested in sort of uh, doing a lease for us on it. I can't remember what exact number, what it was at the time, but it was around about half a million quid. And we didn't have, we didn't have half a million quid. So, but then a load of my mates had seen the success we'd had on Lineker's. Oh, we'll, we'll, and I told them that this club had come up. We'll all chip in, we'll all chip in and do it. So I've got 10 of my pals, we all put in roughly about 50 grand each, something like that. We all chucked in at 50 grand. And we opened this nightclub, but, you know, by a shoestring. I think by the time we opened it, the budget was up to a million. So we straight away, we was on the back foot, we was in debt, and, and the club wasn't fully complete. And we opened it, and we got the, we got, the club was called Boho. We called it Boho. But the thing, the thing, the thing was it with it, we got it too late in the day. We literally signed the contract the end of March. We spent all April and May doing it up, and we opened in June. So we only had a two-month turnaround to promote it, book all the talent, get all the staff. It was just so, so stressful on real, like, on, on a shoestring. So know, it just didn't work in the end? It just, 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 just didn't work. We didn't have, at the time, we didn't have deep enough pockets to fund it, to bankroll it through. Maybe if we could have had enough money and got to have got through to the following season. Also, that sort of period of time, I think 2009, there was sort of the recession part had sort of kicked in as yeah. well. And um, tourism was down. Um, places were getting shut. It was, it, was, it was a tough period. It was a real, real tough period. But we had a wicked laugh. <laughs> we had a wicked laugh. In fact, one of the funniest times ever was me and two of my partners. We went back to my villa and we realised, I know we shouldn't do this. We, we lay on the floor. We was like, oh my God, we just basically lost a million quid, which is a shitload of money, right? <laughs> not, not just ours, my partners and everything. And we lay on the floor laughing as we uncontrollably laughing, right? I don't mean to say that in a flash way. It was, it was in the fact that how fucking stupid were we <laughs> what idiots we all thought we were good businessmen and really cool fucking people and really we just had a fucking massive slap in the face a kick in the balls a stab in the back whatever realised we were shit businessmen and we just spunked the lot up the wall <laughs> so how did from there Old Beach come about so believe it or not, the very next year, I'm, <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment. Me and I, I'm a glutton for punishment. Relentless, though, I love it. I, I'm re- yeah, you never got, you got, you got to never give up. You got to never give up because always believe you got to keep banging on all the doors, and one day one will open. And uh, lucky enough with Ocean Club, it, Ocean Beach, it is. 
you know, and uh, that's why I think you just got to keep those people always say to me, I don't know how you kept going, you know, and this leads into what happened with Ocean Club. I think I was in a bit of a sort of dark place the end of that sort of summer. I was so depressed because we put everything into this, having this nightclub and, uh, and my mum my came out and she sort of stayed with me for a, bit, a period of time. And uh, anyway, me and her, we'd always walked down the same walk along the front there, the Paseo in San Antonio. And we'd always sort of seen that sort of plot where it wasn't, it was a, it was an overgrown car park. There's an old Spanish restaurant, nothing like it is today. And I, we're walking along there and I just said, mum, look at this. I've got to get this place. We've been saying it for years. I've got to try and get it. She's, my mum was like, really? After everything that's happened with Boho? Why don't you just give it up? She was, she was even lost. She was home. despairing. She, she, was, she was despairing. She was like, oh, give it up. Come on. You're not going to get it. Everything's just gone pear-shaped. I said, oh, mum, I love it. I love it. <laughs> and I climbed, I climbed over the wall and uh, there was a Spanish guy in there who couldn't hardly speak any English. And I went in, I couldn't hardly speak any Spanish. And it, all I remember was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I walked out there sort of depressed and everything. And... Uh, and then I went back to where the guy and the guy who owns the villa I lived in, um, he was there. He was a very, very, he was come like a fairy godfather to me in Ibiza, uh, Vicente. He's an amazing, amazing guy. He's one of the sort of founders of uh, San Antonio, as is it, is it is, built all the hotels in the bay many, many moons ago and very, very powerful, respectful individual. So I went to him and I said, look, Vicente, I said, uh, that this plot of land there is Escandel, uh, not Escandel, it's a... Uh, where it is there, Calamoli. I said, I'm really interested in it. And he says, oh, yeah. He says, I know the family. He says, I grew up with them. I know the mother. You know, they're all Ibisenkos. So they're all intimately linked together with each other. And I said to him, I love it. And he said, oh, leave it with me, Tony. Leave it with me. I'll I'll get you it. I said, really? He said, yes, but you just like every deal. He says, just be patient. Wait your time. But I'm not. I can't be patient. (laughs) I, I, I am. I want it tomorrow. I'm so so impulsive and impatient. Anyway, I couldn't wait, and then uh, we, me and Dwayne, went and looked at this site in Plaid and Bossa. We got, you know, we were we were, where Plastic Bar opened up their second bar yeah. many years later. We got offered that whole parade of shops. We were just literally about to sign a deal to buy that parade of shops in Plaid and Bossa. Right, and we were yeah. like again. We was going to open up another Lineker's. We was going to open up a Nando's. We had a whole load of concepts that we was going to put in there. And literally the day we went to sign this deal, how mad is this? This is real fate stuff. Yeah. We, Richie, me, Wayne, wheelchair, and Dwayne, had gone to sign the deal. We went to the restaurant to meet the owner of the locales that we was about to sign for. Yeah. We sat around the table with him. We had all the heads of terms and the pre-contracts agreed. And as we was about to sign it, he asked for 50% more money. We were like, whoa, are you joking me? You yeah. are joking. We're just about to sign a deal. He thought we was just going to be pressured into it, you know. So we all sat around this table, and then we said, let's go and all out, go outside and have a chat. So we went outside and all had a chat. We're standing there having a chat. As we was having a chat, we was going to go back in and negotiate the terms. Literally, my phone rang. It was Vicente. He said, Tony, I've got you that place. Really? <laughs> he said, I've got you it. I was like, what? So I just said to the boys, listen, forget this. It's not meant to be. Let's walk away. <laughs> so we literally walked away from that deal. I still didn't even actually tell the boys then what this was. They didn't even know. That I'd been. <laughs> they didn't even know that I'd been looking at something else. They really didn't. 
really and following you seemed like a really good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like we went we went back, we went back to San Antonio. So I went and met Vicente, went down there, we met Chico, who's the current landowner, and he still is. He said, I've got a deal for you. This was the deal. We wrote out on a piece of paper, we shook hands, Vicente's old school. So no, you you know, once you do that, that's a deal. He yeah. would he would he went back out. So I rung the boys up. So, boys, come and meet me. I've got something for you. <laughs> they were like, what are you fucking on about? And I said, come and have a look at this. So, actually, only Dwayne came. Yeah. And so, Dwayne came down and he went, what is it? And it was all overgrown. I said, me and he climbed over the wall. And he went, yeah. I said, this is going to be Ocean Club Ibiza. And he was like, he sort of looked at me, you fucking mad. <laughs> and, like, and he went, oh, my God, but I love it. And so, we sort of sketched it out, potentially how it could look. And uh, when we, next day we said to the partners, come and have a look at this. They come down. Wayne was like, wow, love it, love it, you know. <laughs> uh, I think Tony was a little bit, oh, God, we've already done our dough in, you know, Boho and whatever. So yeah. this is the place. This is the place. Look at the location. That's right. I took them all down there at sunset. And we was on that roof and we see that sunset. And Ocean Club was born. So I'll come up there. for air. I'll come up for air now. <laughs> Tony, this is this is fantastic. You've got no idea. I actually haven't relived that whole journey like that. It's an amazing story, you know, from being on the seat of your pants, literally the world's caving in to suddenly next minute having one of the world's best beach club. It really is like a, a roller coaster. And then from that, obviously, what did you want to know? Sort of what the next sort of phase go was. from there. <laughs> Yeah, the next phase was um, first year, a bit similar to the boho situation. We didn't, we missed the early part of the summer. We missed booking talents and everything. We we had a budget which we set out with Vicente, which was going to be one price, and that went up a hundred percent. So right. straight or straight away, the time we've opened, we're a hundred percent over budget, and we're like <laughs> in this massive debt. And then the beach club, the first year, it wasn't that busy. It wasn't that busy at all. It, you know, we had a couple of good days. But, you know, we had a lot, a lot of stress. Even Dwayne wanted to walk away from it after that first year because we was we got even more debt, you know, because we couldn't pay the bills and things like that. And then we realised we had to sort of raise some more equity. So that's what we did, and we went and raised some more equity. Then my partner, Maxie, bought into the business because yeah. you know, we needed to raise some capital to pay off the debt. And Maxie sort of helped clear some of the debt, bought a percentage of the company. And the second year, it just kicked off. I think just people had sort of seen it the first year, seen the potential. Um, Gemma Charters came to work with us. Gemma is uh, you know, a, a, a friend of mine who's fantastic, amazing what she does. She came on board and we really structured all the events. We structured all the shows. We, we created what it is today. And then we knew we had something special on our hands. And that, then that third year, it went sort of doubled again. And we were like, wow, we're away, we're away now. We're away now, so let's go and find some other businesses to invest in. <laughs> yes, the hotel, the Wiki Woo. Indeed. <laughs> oh, God. So how, long is, how long is this interview? I really don't <laughs> mind. I just don't want people switching off. They'll get bored listening to me. <laughs> Tony wasn't planned oh, to be this long. Yeah. I didn't expect well, yeah. you had so much to yeah. say. <laughs> Yeah, so much to say. Then the wiki woo, then then there's a whole different ball game altogether. That's do you want to know how that come about? Yes. Well, that come about, that came about. I've always wanted to have a boutique hotel, um, and uh, I thought, oh, I'd love a hotel one day. So then uh, I said to uh, Vicente again, I said, Vicente, if any hotels ever come up, please let me know. I really, really want one. And um, he said, Oh, what are you going to do at the boys? I said, Well. I'm going to talk to the boys, my partners, if they want to get involved. I said, but more than anything, my best mate in life, uh, Gordy, 
Yeah. As you as you know, as we spoke about earlier, Gordie had always been um, uh, there for me when I was younger, and used to he used to own houses, and but he was always a Hoover repair man. And when I was skin, I used to always go around borrow money off him. And like, when I was yeah. really in trouble, he lent me a few grand, and he was always there. He really helped me through a lot of sort of difficult times in my life. And uh, he was married at the time of his kids; he wasn't in the party scene, and uh, but he was always there, someone I could turn to. Yeah. And then obviously he's seen the sort of success that we'd have. And then he'd come out to Ibiza every summer for many, many years and then had to go home and fix washing machines and dishwashers. And I just felt so sorry for him sort of thing. And uh, he was going, oh, I'd love this life. So I said to him, look, God, when I get to this stage of earning X amount of money, I said, I'm going to try, I'll help you out. I'll get you a business or something. I think he thought I was always bullshit. Right. <laughs> and then uh, one day... Uh, sent it again, rang me up and said, I've got a hotel for you. Come and have a look. I went down, I saw it. It was the Costa Mar. And I was like, oh my God, love it. What an amazing location. Yeah. Front row, sunset. We've done a, I hadn't told Gordy. I've done a deal. A bit like, I like doing that. I like surprising people. <laughs> I rang Gordy up. I said, what are you doing? And he was with this bird at the time. And uh, I knew he wasn't happy. And he just bought a dog with her and all that. I said, listen, uh, I said, uh, you know what we spoke about? I said, your dream's just about to come true. I said, but you've got to do two things. And he said, what's that? I said, I've bought a hotel. You can have half of it. And he said, what? I said, I've just bought a hotel. I said, at least least a hotel, you know. I said, the trouble is the missus and the dog can't come. You got to get rid of, uh, I said, you've got to get rid of both. So, so he was like, oh, but I really love that dog. <laughs> <laughs> so he's literally jumped off the sofa, sitting there, ended his relationship with a bird. So I said, keep the dog and go to Ibiza. So that, in a, in a basic nutshell, was what happened there. So he jacked in his washing machine business. He'd got no idea about running the hotel whatsoever. And that's why we're quite proud it's like 40 towers. We don't pretend it's not. Do you know what I mean? And like we said, okay, what are we going to do with this hotel? So that was so that was what that happened with that. And uh, we opened that and we created this Technicolor Dreamcoat Hotel. Um, day one from that first year. Then suddenly, I know, I think one of the big sort of Daily Mail or someone went, is this the most Instagrammable hotel in the world? It suddenly boom, blew up. You've achieved like so, so much. It's pretty mind blowing, especially now I get this whole journey and that. Like, what does success look for, look like for you now? I don't know. It's it's it's, it's weird. I always say success is if you can get up between getting up in the morning, and going to bed at night, do you? If you can do it exactly as you please, then that's successful because then you feel sort of you know quite content and everything. You know, years ago, you know, I think when I was younger, you want the, you want the money, don't you? Everyone's driven for the money. I think then when you get it, you know, you can only, there's, you know, and there's a great story, you know, you, you can only wear one watch, it doesn't matter, they all tell the same time, the cars all do the same thing, get you from A to B, don't they, really? I think it's just how you, you know, you come in this world with nothing, go out owing as much as you can. <laughs> 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 and have a great time in between. Whew. Take a second to cut your breath. Did you manage to keep up? I was exhausted just listening, but that was the mind-blowing whirlwind of a journey from Tony Truman. Summer is finally starting to look like it might just happen after all. So we're hoping that Boris is going to let us go and see Tony this summer out at O Beach in Ibiza. For all of the info on our parties both there and at STK, just head over to Candy Pants Ibiza on Instagram. 
we'll be back next week with the boys from Kachua Club. And don't forget, you can also listen to Candy Pants Radio by simply searching Candy Pants wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. But until then, thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you all very soon.